of sunshine A little bit of booze A little bit of me And a little bit of you A little bit country A little bit of blues A little slice of heaven And a little piece of you Come on, down boys we are back for another week of svs fly fishing podcasting what is going on my good friends this fine evening i'm still on drunk january (laughs) (laughs) hell yes hey at least you brought to my attention that this is the multiple the if time that we've come into the song i know (laughs) i was thinking that i was we have came in before huh yeah because every time we come into him he's like Oh, yeah, I saw those guys <laughs> down in Columbus and blah, blah. So you are the polar opposite of Chad right now. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah normally I'm no, the one yeah. slobbering and falling down. Well, and <laughs> somebody has to at least do it. You know, If he's going to not drink for a whole month, I'm going to drink extra for a whole month. My liver's hating me right now. So seeing how next week is the 31st, next Sunday, that's another dry show. I know. No, the only beers I've had were the couple... The one tails what week and a half or so ago. Yeah. So I've kind of followed with you this month. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, well. well qu- quit and chew, and I don't want to kind of get the urge from having a couple beers. I'm yeah. Like, you know screw it. I'm not even having any beer, nothing. I'm just getting mm-hmm. through it. And in a month or two, when I have, I know I'll be all right, I'll worry about it then. Well, first off, congratulations on that. That's a, that's a big Thank thing, you. man. It's hard to do. I, I remember doing it. It was like fucking 10 years ago, man. Uh, it's hard. <laughs> I made a couple attempts at it before, and this time I was like, yep, I'm doing it different. And it's worked. It worked a lot better this time. Like I said, when, when I did it, it was always extra sugar-free bubble gum. That way, if I did feel like the urge, I could put it down where I used to hold the dip. Uh, and it was sugar-free, so didn't rot your teeth out as much. Nice. <laughs> there was a method to the mayhem. Yeah, Dad had to – he tried quitting cigarettes. We did for four years. Had to mm-hmm. quit drinking for – you know, that solid first, like, month yep. just to get through that at first, and then he could go back to drinking and not having a cigarette. I remember he tried doing it again this fall. 
It didn't but, work as well. No, because he, he said he hung out with you. Yep. <laughs> yeah. That would cause me to smoke, too. I drank an absolute <laughs> ton of water. That's the one thing is I just kept hammering water. I could use some water. Uh, that show will rush your belly. <laughs> hey, man, we have a good guest coming on tonight. Eric Rasky, Mr. Lake St. Clair. They're still keeping up with open water. Yeah. So that's going to be a fun talk. I can't wait to get into it with him. Not just small mu- mouth, man. The I was going to say not just musky. Oh, They're geez. small mouth and lake trout and, and white bass. Like a big pike. Yeah, big pike. Man, everything. So it, it's going to be a good talk. And uh, we did, we have had him on before, but it was with the old equipment. So uh, Has it been that long? Yeah. Boy, I, two, over two years. Over two years. Jeez. So I, I felt it was good to have him back on. Let, let's give him an interview that uh, we're, we're proud of, you know? Proper nighting. Yes, proper sound quality. Uh, the sound quality is being brought to you, recorded from the Urban Fly Company studios. Check Mark out at urbanflycompany.com. Tied on A-Rex Hooks. Find them at arexhooks.com. Predator Fly Gear. Predatorflygear.com. Sims Fishing. Simsfishing.com. Hey, uh, Jay, you and me are both wearing Queen City Guiding shirts right now. Mm-hmm. Go check out our boy Ryan Evans at Queen City Guiding. Why Duck. not fishing? Check out their app to dock. Yeti, built for the wild. Yeti.com. Hey, man, that was almost like a professional deal, even two. though I threw a curveball and went out of order. That's two weeks in a row, too. <laughs> that was That's the best order. I liked it because <laughs> I, I didn't have to do anything. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah, man. So, uh, Jay, you and me both watched a fight last night. We did. Um, yours was on purpose. I didn't want to have to watch it, but I had to. Because I wasn't allowed to stay in the hospital. <sighs> yeah. Yeah, I went down to Pittsburgh, went and watched a fight. Uh, it was funny. My cousin had just his sister, a couple family members over, and a uh, real small little you know, couple people. And, but one of them got really drunk and threw up all over the place. So that was this. And this is while the main event's going on. So this is like total like mayhem. And I'm trying to like watch fights, spews all over the place. And it was, it was a fun, it was an entertaining night, to did say it, the least. Did anyone pull the Garth? If you're going to spew, spew in this <laughs> and hand her a Dixie cup. <laughs> I, I, I should have. I'm, I'm good for that one, too. His mom, I saw her shoot red uh, wine or some shit that was redder than hell out of her nose a little before that. So it was, it was an entertaining oh, one. The fights were good. Conor McGregor got his ass whooped. I put 20 bucks on it. I won 20 bucks on that fight. Hell, yeah. I should have put real money on it in Vegas because fuck you to want him. You yeah. don't want to fuckload off that guy. What it was, uh, Dustin Poirier. Dustin Poirier, yeah, it, he was a big time underdog. Yeah, yeah, huge underdog. And Even just though, from the name, he's a great fighter. Yeah, but he's the he was the second uh, contender for the belt, and McGregor was the fourth. Yeah, he was. Well, he's number one contender. Yeah, yeah. and then McGregor's four. Uh, well, the champ, the championship, and that. In 155, I know we're not, you know, talking UFC, but uh, is is vacant anyways. That uh, Khabib Nemetarnov, whatever the hell is the Russian guy, he just relinquished the belt, retired. So nobody has that belt anyway. I think Poirier deserves it for now. He just whooped the biggest name in MMA, basically. So yeah, let him hold it. Let put somebody else up against him. I'll tell you what I liked the most about last night was watching the girls fight. Oh yeah, the, they're always those doing. bitches be wild. <laughs> the, the first fight we we're trying to stream it you know and it kept uh it kept freezing up my father was like i want to see that bitch get punched in the face come on <laughs> it, it was funny as hell that was more entertaining than i think watching the fights 
the, and the man, those they're so badass too. Like any of us would even think about trying to step into an octagon with like a hundred and fifteen pound girl would just get their head kicked off in like two seconds. Oh, they'd all kill me. Yeah, they'd Wait, kill where me. were you at? I was in my in laws' house because you, uh, been waiting all my life to. <laughs> For the, the, the scissor lock. Yeah. <laughs> you want to get triangle choked? Yeah, I heard the other half, but me. I didn't know where you ended up No going. tap. So yeah. why were you at your... And, and then it, it's streaming at 1 o'clock in the in morning, so... Yeah. So my wife and I had tickets to go to uh, a, a local snow tubing place. We get there. Uh, our tickets were from 8 till 10 p.m. We get there. We we make our first trip down the hill. Everything's gravy. We're your going, your kid is with you. Yeah. Okay. My kid's with us. Everything's gravy. We're going fast. My wife went down the hill first. Then my kid. Then me. And then they have like this uh this cable that takes you back up the hill. They hook your tube, which is uh if you guys ever go, you guys sit in like a half crunch position while they pulls you up. And I thought my my cable was gonna strap because I was a little weighty. I, I had a little bit of friction to it. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I'm giving her all she's got, Captain. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't think that. Nobody can get elastic. up the hill while Chad's fucking weighing everything down. <laughs> the the plastic arm that you, they hook your tube to, it was really bending with me. I saw it with Nolan. It, it was like there's nothing there, but with me, it was like really bending. I was like, oh man, okay. So, so that was the first run. The second run, I was like, all right, I'll go first. Then my son will go second, and then my wife goes third. Like down the hill, and we wait for each other, and so I get down, I freaking smoke, and I, I I did the run and jump on my belly like I was riding uh, Frosty the Snowman, and I catch air halfway down the hill and make it to the bottom. They say drag your feet when you get to the turf, that way you don't go into the barrier. So these are kids instructing you, right? Uh, they they were twenty uh, ish. They. They showed you how to do it? No, 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 no. They didn't show us. Obviously, they didn't show us because my wife drug her feet the whole way down because she was scared. And when she got to the turf at the bottom, she got her foot caught under the turf. And it, like, hyperextended her toes back toward her shin bone. And I see this. Like, I see her hit it. Boom. And then she's sitting there. I was like, oh. I was like, no, your mom wiped out. Look, let's let's go laugh at her and make fun. And then I see she's not standing up. I was like, oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> so we get over there, and she's bawling. I was like, oh, there's nothing worse than seeing a lady cry. Mm. You know? Oh, I was like, oh, no. And they were, like, freezing to her cheeks because it was cold out. And I was like, what happened? She's like, oh, I broke my foot again. I was like, oh, Ashley, we've made two runs down the hill, and you're getting hurt already? <laughs> she's like, She's like, well, I can I can sit in a lodge while you and Nolan you know finish too. But I said, no. I said, it's eight twenty now. We've been here twenty minutes. <clears throat> We're not gonna ride tubes until ten, and then take you to the hospital and get out of the hospital at three in the morning. So we ended up drove a long way around, dropped my son off at my dad's house, took her to the hospital, and uh, seeing how it's COVID season. You're not allowed to be in the hospital if you're not sick or hurt. So, if you're not the patient, yeah. Yeah, so I couldn't hang out with my wife. Luckily, my in-laws lived two blocks down the road from the hospital, so I went there and watched Fight Night <laughs> and didn't drink beers while watching Fight Night. Ooh, that's tough. Yeah. But 
She's alive. They didn't have to like, amputate her foot or anything. It's not broken. It's just uh, strained. Tore some ligaments, I think. But she, you know, she's unconsolable, and there's no one there that <laughs> is listen, like listening to what is actually wrong with her, so she has no idea what's really wrong. The lady, the lady nurse tried pulling her snow boot off of her without untying it. Mm-mm. My wife's like, that fucking bitch was pulling my boot off and didn't untie it. I was like, she said it hurts so bad. She's like, I was going to kick her in the head. Fight night at the hospital, too. <laughs> but she she kept her composure, didn't kick the nurse in the head, and, uh, and all was well. They offered her some drugs, and she didn't take them. Aww. She's like, it makes me sick. Uh, eh, so goes it. <laughs> Could have told her to fake take it in front of them. <laughs> <laughs> Just, like, tilt your head back real hard and fast and <clears throat> then pocket it. So, Jason will f- tell you what it is when you get back. You got to do some ice fishing today, didn't you? Oh, uh, well, I walked on water again, man. I'm just not walking on the right water. This stuff is, it's lakes that are, every, everybody in the whole great state, it's kind of like steelhead fishing right now. Like, you got a whole state of people gunning for one or two places, so. The northeast part of the state, they got it and had it for a while, and they got some walleye lakes over there. There are guys pulling stuff. I think Kinzu's actually frozen. People are going on that. Presque Isle is freezing. Guys are starting to walk on that. Uh, what's that bay up there? Misery. Yeah, the guy said it was almost froze over, and it's starting. It just a couple more days. I mean, we went and took a ride on the our local lakes around here just to see what was going on and be like everybody else, looky-loose, wanting to get out there. Uh, nothing, man. I mean, how many inches of ice were was oh, the lake I, that you I were did. on? Oh, today there was probably three, four inches, but there was a mix of slush on top of some like good black ice. How so many people? Three, four inches on top of forty foot. Oh yeah, yeah. There's not. There's definitely nobody. Nobody was too scared, but it wasn't a lot of ice, and uh, they probably had ice for a few weeks now there. But there was a ton of people. This little parking lot was packed, like. That's right by where I used to go to college. Yeah, over over thirty vehicles. Are people eating the trouts? No, nah, I don't know. They could be as the as big as the ones that my uncle and my buddy <laughs> caught. Hell, you'd have dinner for sure. With just one, they got like I don't know if that's like a if they get bigger fish. I know they plan on some of these lakes are stocked if they get ice. So like justice and stuff like that. If they get the ice, the commission will come down and be like, oh, it's safe. We're gonna cut a hole and dump them in there for you guys so that's pretty cool you know another crack at it but uh these trout in that deep deep water can make it all year at that place because they got the temperatures and thermocline and whatnot so it was a pretty cool little lake i mean we didn't catch much species wise like what perch bluegill and trout so but there's other stuff in there i mean there's probably big bass and things like that but nobody was venturing out i mean they people started space out people hit it hard in the morning left so it was fun while it lasted. It, I, I marked a bunch of fish, looked at the screen, worked them over, had a couple bites, and that was was the end of that, man. It's it's tough. I'm I'm hoping in like two days to get on our local water and chase some walleye, some good good eating walleye and big crappie. Where's so, the crappie? You still have crappie. You still haven't poked one through the ice yet this year? No, I caught. Yeah, no, I caught up there. The dogs, aren't they? Uh, we went to the docks at Pimatuming, and there's fish in there. I fished it before, like so right before it ever be froze. Yeah. Right before it ever froze, guys would be on it. Nobody was out there. Nobody was around. I was kind of surprised, but 
Uh, that was at State Park, which... How about your training pond? It doesn't... It's not froze. Really? Yeah, yeah. it's crazy. That's normally the first place around. Exactly. Uh, all the all the wide open areas that kind of were able to keep a little cool, colder air, you know, moving across them, kept the ice. So our lakes, we've had ice on and off since, like, New Year, you know, or even around Christmas. It just hasn't hasn't locked up. Yeah, wind pushing it around. But now it's shore to shore and building every day. So we should be Wednesday, hopefully, walk walk on this water. And I kind of know a little bit. I think I do. I don't, how much can you know? Don't forget to take these pounders then. Oh, I got them, bro. Don't you worry. You grab them right I didn't forget last week. I, okay. I, I got stuff, man. I, I got a bunch of new lures. Trying new stuff. I mean, when you're when you're not catching fish, you're going through different lures in the box and seeing what's going on. And hell, I've never fished anywhere for trout, so a little different, little different thing today. Good long ride, hang out with Unc and, and a mushroom hunting buddy, and tried like hell. Hell yes, man. Fuck it, man. It's something to do. But there was a ton of people. Everybody was enjoying it. Are you seen, you know, there's a couple females out there and tagging along with the group. Set people just setting their head up. You know what that means? Cooler and shit and twisted tees for everybody and <laughs> all that. So but I, it, I love me some twisted tees, man. Oh, they're they're casual. <laughs> you can drink. That's not a Pepsi. Uh, yeah, you. No, but the other thing is, I'm thinking, where am I gonna get a chew at now? Oh, yeah. It's not like there's anything around. <laughs> but I found it, a can in the truck earlier, and I pitched it, so we're good. Booyah. It's, it's officially ice fishing season, man. From here to New York and everywhere is going to freeze up in between in the next few days. Well, it's if a, it's all nice and frozen, I'll go next weekend. No, I'm should, in. Should be. I think next weekend they're predicting a little warm-up, like mid-30s, and then might might be a, a well, stellar. Maybe I won't then. <laughs> maybe I won't then. Oh no, I, well, not like warm up, warm up, but it not gonna be the twenties. I don't think yeah. it's supposed to make it to freezing. Maybe once this week, throughout the week, they got a. Well, that's actually tomorrow. Storm is supposed to hit, so I'm hoping for less snow. But I've been ripping the snowmobile, so I've been kind of liking this little snow. It's just Tuesday, forty one. <laughs> oh yeah, thanks, well, thanks. There we <laughs> go <laughs> with rain. Call yeah. you a fucking liar. Well, no, I, I don't. Something's going on. There's a storm coming through uh, where they said it could be rain or snow or snow sleet. Something, something weird like a storm like that was supposed to hit tomorrow into Tuesday. So it might be 41 for a m- brief moment. Tomorrow's high is 37. What's low of Tuesday? 30. Tuesday's 41. What the fuck? Where are you looking at weather for? The sun? No, I'm looking for the goddamn temperature. You're the one saying uh, it's not gonna be is it, above freezing is that, for the next eighteen days. Uh, well, not eighteen days, <laughs> but I mean, I thought I thought the weekend had a warm up coming. The in. weathermen get paid to be wrong anyway. Yeah. So uh, if you were twelve inches off, <coughs> if they predict twelve inches of snow, and we get four. <laughs> everything's hunky dory. Jay, if you were twelve inches off measuring baseboard, you'd get fired. Oh yeah, <laughs> or, or or get a, you know, something taken out of my. <laughs> I'll be paying for it. Uh, Tom Brady's going back to another Super Bowl, everybody. They won? Yep. They do, really. Yeah. Huh. They held them off. I'm sure. The defense w- held them. When everyone hears this, <coughs> everyone will know. Yeah. <laughs> what was there, like 350 left to go when we came in here? It was yeah. 31-23. And they ended up getting three. So it was 31-26. Chad, you better be wrong about this freaking weather. I'm telling you, broski, that's what it says. Ah, oh, man. No, I've been looking at all kind of like. He's looking at weather for upstate New yeah. York. I'm- <laughs> Oh, me? No, I'm, I'm looking for here, I guess, shared, I guess, near me. But I don't know. I, I'm looking on maps trying to go to Michigan or Saginaw or St. Clair, and, and you're talking warm, more warm weather, and that sucks. I know, man. 
So I, I tied some flies today. I'll tell you what. I like uh, Luke Swanson's SS Minnow. It's kind of like a changer, but it's different. Just different enough to say it's not a changer. They look good. Is it stack dubbing? Is that what that is? Or? No, it's brush. It's brush? Yeah. I made a brush. Very nice. Yeah. Just just different enough to say it's not a changer. That way I'm not riding the J train. Ah, <laughs> uh, thanks. <laughs> thanks. Don't make a disturbance in the water. They're dense. You'll, they'll, the fish will feel that fly. Oh, yeah. You're not going to want to throw that with a six weight. And there's a metric shit ton of lead in it, nice. too. No, that's a seven, eight weight fly. Though. Yeah, don't throw that with that's your... That's a uh, pike fly, by all means, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes, yes, yes. So, what do you guys think? Do we want to go take a break and then uh, come back with Eric? Sounds good. Do it. Be right back. And we are back with Eric Rasky from Muskie Fly Fishing Adventures. What's happening, Eric? Not much. How are you guys doing? Oh, it's a it's fun. Been a long time, huh? It has been a long time, man. It's a. Uh, it's good to talk to you again. Absolutely. So, uh, what's been new? What What's been going on in the the past two years since we've spoken with you? Yeah, uh, time flies by. That's for sure. Uh, like. It seemed like it was just, uh, I could have swore it was last winter that we spoke, but crazy, it's been two years. Um, you know, yeah, I guess it just goes by fast, uh, you know, dealing with all the, the COVID stuff this year. Uh, luckily, that didn't affect, like, the, the guiding season a ton as far as the numbers of people, but uh, having, like, the border closed down, um, you know, just kind of dealing with all that stuff. And then uh, my dad, before passing away, had a bunch of health stuff with his cancer and stuff, so it was busy, just staying busy between you know, both that with the family and, and doing the fishing stuff. So it made time fly by fast. That's, that's for sure. Yeah, for sure, man. Hey, sorry about your father. Yeah, um, I appreciate that. So you, you did mention the border closing. Uh, what effect did that have on you this year, Gaiden? Yeah, it definitely. So those familiar with Lake St. Clair, you know, rough, almost like two thirds of the lake is Ontario waters. Uh, so with the bass season, um, since Michigan has a, a year round catch and release, it didn't affect the bass season at all, like the pre-spawn and, and post-spawn season. Um, but once we got into the muskie season, that, that's where it was a big effect. Uh, there is some good waters on the U.S. side kind of in early summer. Um, and then as the summer goes on, the fishing definitely uh, gets better uh, over on the Ontario side. And what made it so hard is I saw the most amount of boats I've ever seen on the water this year. Uh, and whether it was just because of people you know, say a lot of people working from home. So instead of, you know, getting out of work at, you know, four o'clock and then having to drive home and rush hour traffic, eat, and by then you don't have time to run out there. I think with people being at home, they were able to just hit the lake at like two thirty, three o'clock, right? So it was by far the most people I'd ever seen. Um, and by not being able to go over to the Ontario side of the water, uh, you had more anglers than I've ever seen before, all fishing in a smaller, much smaller amount of water. Um, and really, there's only, you know, given, depends on what time of year, but there may be like only two or three good fishing areas on the U.S. side, uh, you know, depending on the time of year and just having all those people just beating on that every day. So you end up having spots where normally you might see, 
you know, on a weekday, one or two boats there. And then weekends, maybe 10. It was like on the weekdays where there's like 10, 15 guys there and on weekends, 25, 30. So it, it definitely made things interesting as far, you know, having to fish for, uh, you know, really heavily pressured fish. Um, and then just dealing with all the boat traffic too. So, uh, hopefully things will be back to normal again next year or just coming year as far as like, you know, us, you know, go over to the other side of the lake. Um, and this another nice thing too is on the Ontario side is there's only like a couple of boat uh, marinas on their whole side. So pretty much once you get over to that side of the lake, it's pretty much just mostly fishermen that you're dealing with uh, and a lot more water. So you can kind of get away from, from people. You had mentioned previously about the, um, you know, more pressured fish now. Did you do anything different on your end or did you just kind of stay more diligent with them and just stay on them? Um, and we, we did at times. Uh, some of the time I might have went a little smaller at times or more natural uh but really it was just trying to work and you know maybe stay on the outer edges of everybody so maybe not fishing your normal waypoints where most of the fish are probably at but because they're just getting beaten on every day you kind of stay just on the outskirts of everybody and just hope to find that you know one or two stragglers type of thing uh but other than that was just grinding it out i mean the, the gear fishing didn't conventional gear fishing didn't seem to get affected as much as the flies but for me um, and I know a lot of people say, oh, you're throwing something different. Maybe it'll be better, you know, uh, you know, better, have a better effect on the fish. But it seems like when I fish in heavily, heavily pressured fish, the flies just don't seem to produce as well. Uh, so like I said, the conventional gear, you know, the guys did a little better with like speed and stuff like that. But when it came to the flies, it definitely made it a little more difficult in, in the high pressured areas. Have you switched over flies to, to flies that do more gear related things like the the flies that have the wiggle tails and the big heavy jig head flies and stuff like that at all? Or are you still swimming conventional musky flies that you would think? No, of? I'm still more conventional musky flies. Uh, I've had some guys use some of that stuff. Um, it has worked at times. Uh, but I would say, you know, the hard part about that is 90% of the guys I have in the boat aren't going to be able to throw that kind of stuff anyways. And even the wiggle tails just add so much more resistance through the air when you're trying to cast them. So I haven't gone to that uh, very much um still you know it's just kind of conventional try to get the most bulk with like you know the lightest weight that guys can can throw and handle most of the time um but i'm sure that there is probably applications to some of it here and there uh you know, especially the wiggle tail sometimes the two-hand retrieve and things like that but i've still mostly been sticking with kind of the conventional stuff maybe making some little, little tweaks to it the size uh you know, different retrieves or something like that. But but for the most part, still staying pretty conventional, trying to find something that the guys can throw. So you also mentioned the amount of more more people on the lake. And uh, you you said do you, you like to do long drifts. Is there an etiquette, like boat spacing or anything like that, between the boats? And has there been instances where people don't abide by etiquette? Yeah, uh, you know... There's definitely an etiquette out there. Uh, like I said, a lot of times we're doing, you know, drifts and, you know, it could be, you know, a short drift may only be, if you know there's like some fish and you're trying to hit them, you know, it might only be 60, 70 yards, but a lot of times you're drifting, you know, hundreds of yards at times. Uh, and there's definitely an etiquette, especially, you know, if you have a fairly windy day, you can kind of line up where the person's going to be drifting when they're drifting with the wind. Uh, you know, you, you do start to get guys that want to go like, you know, against the wind or sideways to the wind and kind of cut people off and for the most part it's pretty good you kind of know to go around someone if you're kind of coming close but uh you definitely see is 
more people are newer to the sport. Uh, you, you definitely see a little bit more of, you know, maybe just not knowing etiquette out there. And, and I think for the most part, guys try to learn it, but you definitely get some people that, that will they'll either start a drift right in front of you or when they're kind of cutting sideways, the wind kind of the person that's under drift should have it right away. Uh, and they kind of cut in front and, you know, and kind of low hole people at times. So you see that, but for the most part, the musky guys are pretty good. It's the bass ones that, uh, it's kind of a zoo when it comes to bass fishing guys are cutting each other off all the time and spot locks a blessing and a curse at the same time you know it is kind of nice sometimes to be able to hold your boat in a certain area but you know a lot of the bass guys will just kind of do a drift pick up a fish and just lock on a spot for hours and you know you've been doing that drift all, all day long and all of a sudden you can't get back over that drift again uh so there's pros and cons definitely you know the musky guys seem to stay a little bit more i don't know my general rule of thumb is just to try to stay at least a a, a casting distance away but uh you know sometimes when there's a lot of boats in a small area you, you can't always do that but that, that's the ideal thing for me is at least a uh, casting distance away uh and with you know with bass it's a little bit harder to do the, the guys kind of tend to get on top of each other a lot more do you uh do you see a lot more people uh using a fly rod up there nowadays or or going to it here uh, and there or is it pretty are you the only one waving a, a fly rod around like a wand around out there no, there's still, there's definitely, uh, guys around, um, you know, with bass, I definitely see quite a bit of it, uh, with musky, it, it kind of up, goes up and down. Like, you know, a few years ago, there was a handful of guys that see out there doing it. And now whether they've either just switched over to conventional gear, uh, or moved away the night, they wasn't seeing very much. And then a couple other guys have been doing it again over the last couple of years, uh, I would say there's not a whole lot of people that stick with it the whole the whole time. Uh, you definitely get a lot more people do it for a little while and then end up switching over to conventional gear, uh, which is an easy thing to do when you're seeing everybody around you catch them on conventional gear. You know, a lot of people get get the itch to just want to catch some fish, uh, so so they'll maybe put the fly rod down. Um, but no, I, I would say the numbers of people haven't really increased over the last seven or eight years. Hmm. And when you go on a musky trip and someone says, "Hey," I want to go fly fishing for muskie. Do you bring a gear rod along just in case they see people catching them on pounders and stuff? <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I've definitely done that. I, I've also learned my lesson too. Um, in the beginning, you know, in the very, very beginning, I, I didn't have hardly, you know, any conventional gear, very limited amount. Um, you know, now I, I got a lot more, but I've also learned a lesson that especially if it's, unless it's someone that I know that's really experienced that fly fishing for muskie, um, I may not bring it then, but I pretty much always have it just because I'll get a lot of people if it's one of their first times or they've only done it a handful of times. You know, I run pretty long days. Like I'm usually out there 10, 11 hours a lot of days. So halfway through the day, some of the guys, some of the people can get a little bit, you know, tired out. Uh, or I have had a couple of instances where someone kind of like almost blew out a shoulder and just like, I can't cast this anymore. So I'll have the, I always have a conventional gear rod in the boat for those reasons too, because I'd rather have them be able to continue to fish. Um, or if I see they're starting to get a little tired out, I'll, I'll have them go back and forth uh, just to kind of save their energy for the day. But you definitely do get a couple of times where, like, the, the, the bite's just really, really tough. And you know, like, I said, like you said, they're seeing people catch them on pounders. Or usually the one that's the hardest for us to replicate is when it's, like, a real fast, like, bucktail bite, a bladed bite, you know. Um, when they're really on that, it's it's hard to, to move a fly, like, fast enough or try to do that same type of stuff. So, uh, I, I will always have, you know, a few baits and a rod or two in the boat, uh, just in case the people want to, uh, we always have that option. 
in them scenarios, do you ever neck them down to say like an eight weight and throw five, six inch flies for smallies or, you know, pike for a little bit and save the energy yeah. there too? Yeah, there's some times of the year, um, depending on where we're going to be fishing. If there is some like smallie water nearby, uh, we'll, we'll definitely, they can definitely go do that for a little bit. Um, and we've even done that, you know, a number of times when the fishing's really slow. You know, you get a day where it's like bluebird skies and flat calm, which is really tough conditions out there. Uh, sometimes just to give, excuse me, just give them a little bit of a break and you'll know, get a tug in the line. We'll go find some smallmouth or uh, there's parts of the lake where there's a lot of gar too, and we can go target those for a while and even though you know they're not real real big or anything like that it just you know again seeing some fish casting to some fish get a tug in the line kind of gets everyone's energy back up again and then you know head back out for musky after that hey here's the a number one question for a gar fly do you use hooks or no i don't no i just use the rope flies yeah just i just spray the rope flies up enough to where they just kind of get tangled up in it is it a pain in the ass to get them out? I've never used a rope fly. Uh, it, at times it can be, yeah, but <laughs> if you can't, you know, you're trying to, get them to open their mouth, you know, and it, it can be at times. But, you know, I've used, when I didn't have the, the rope flies on me, I've tried using ones with hooks, and, I mean, it was so hard. Really, the only one I think I ever even landed, it basically got hooked on the outside of his face. It didn't, like, get, you know, the hook got him out there, and that's the only reason I was even going to hook him. But with the, the rope flies, I would say probably – land maybe like 60 percent of them that eat it um it, it just depends on how, how well it gets kind of tangled up in their teeth uh but yeah if it can't get their, if you can't pry their mouth open it can be a little bit of a pain in the butt to try to get the i just end up like cutting it out or something like that a lot of times just sweet talk them hey mr gar <laughs> open your mouth like tickle them under know, the gill right? or something <laughs> yeah it, it, it's sometimes hard to get them to, to open their mouth especially the smaller ones the ones that are pushing like you know, upper 30s, 40-inch ones are usually a little bit easier, but the, the small ones, their teeth are so close together. Uh, those ones are a little bit harder to, to get out sometimes. So what are those, long nose or uh, the spotted gar? Yeah, we have the long nose gar out here. Okay. So most of them are probably only, I don't know, 20 to 28 inches, but then you get the occasional bigger one. It's like upper 30s or 40. And those are a little more fun because I pretty much just have a seven or eight weight in the boat for if we're going to do some bass stuff or something. So using those, the seven weight with the smaller gar, I mean, they just have no weight to them. So you don't get much of a fight. But if you get one that's, you know, upper 30s, 40 inches, you'll get a little bit more of a fight out of them on an eight weight. Cool, man. So um, let, let's go through the different fish. Uh, you said we've talked about muskie. We've talked about uh, gar. What, what else is there in Lake St. Clair to catch? And we'll, uh, we'll definitely come back to the muskie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no problem. Yeah. No, I, I can actually run through the season. I mean, usually we start off early in the year. Uh, you may have some, like, post-spawn pike early in the spring that we can fish for. Uh, but it's mostly, you know, depends on when the water warms up enough. Usually sometime in March, uh, I'll actually I'll probably start jigging, doing some jigging for walleye just to get a little bit of table fare and stuff. I'll do some, some of that. Uh, but when it comes to the fly fishing, it'll be, uh, you know, smallmouth march through through most of may uh and then like i said i'll do do some some walleye fishing in there here and there uh, unfortunately there's not much to do with flies at that time of year with the walleye they're, they're kind of in the river uh pre and post spawn uh kind of deeper river in the detroit river and st Clair river um, and then white bass will get in there really good coming out of lake erie uh you know they'll come in by the millions and that'll be kind of a, a may time frame and then yeah once summer comes june you know you got a little bit of everything, smallmouth, uh, musky, still some white bass around. Uh, 
if I could target them a little bit more while we're bass fishing, and even musky fishing, they'll hit the musky flies too. We'll get a lot of channel, or not a lot, but we'll get a handful of channel cats. Um, and on an eight weight, you know, guys will be bass fishing all day, and all of a sudden they get into like, you know, eight, 10 pound channel cat and just kicks their butt and they're like, let's try to find some more of these. And unfortunately, <laughs> it's just kind of a here and there. But if I could ever, you know, they, you can find them in the rivers pretty schooled up. But if I could ever find them on a lake, like where you could, you know, book a trip and catch like 10 of those in a day, I mean, the, the, the some of the anglers that have out there would absolutely love it because they just smash a fly. Oh, they when give you everything you want. Fishing, yeah. When you're musky fishing, you know right away when it's a catfish, it literally rips the line out of your hand. And you're like, the muskies <laughs> just don't hit that way, right? They just turn and roll on it so much. So those would be a lot of fun to catch. Uh, we get some drum mixed in here and there. Uh, you can definitely target them throughout the summer too, like in some shallower waters. Um, but they seem to be in the shallower stuff. It's, they seem to run a little bit smaller than in the rivers. And in the spring, sometimes you can get into some big ones. Uh, those are fun to target on a fly rod. Uh, and then, yeah, um, you know, throughout the summer, it's a lot of musky pike, getting into some sturgeon, kind of like late summer, fall. And then late fall again, it's kind of mostly just a, a musky game for me. Like I said, I, I think I did sturgeon this year into like November. Um, but yeah, pretty much just a, a musky game late fall. There's a lot of walleye guys out there during that time too. But uh, yeah, we're pretty much just targeting the musky by that time. So a smorgasbord of everything, uh, especially early in the summer, June. There's been a lot of times where we might even start off with musky, but by the end of our fishing forward, you know, drum, smallmouth, kind of, we always, always joke around, like, whatever the lake wants to give up that day, we'll kind of go go for that. So the, the, the plans things sometimes change throughout the day. Um, you, have, a, you have lake trout as well, right? You know, I don't know. Someone told me that I had out here this year, they saw, like, a YouTube video where someone was fishing for lake trout out there. Um Maybe it was. I have not seen that yet. I have never heard of a lake trout uh, other than once in a great while, an accidental catch. Oh, okay. Uh, but someone told me that there was a video going around out there. I'm kind of curious to see it myself, to see if they're actually out on Lake St. Clair or if they might have been the shipping channel. It's a little deeper or something, but uh, not like targetable numbers. Like I said, you hear of a one-off here and there. I think I may have saw one or two one time before, but we weren't totally sure. Um, you do get the occasional steelhead because they're passing through the lake a lot of times, the they head up to some of the rivers, so they go from like Erie up through Lake St. Clair, and then up into like, say, like Clinton River or some other rivers north of there. Um, but yeah, I, I I haven't seen any lake trout, but I'm I'm kind of curious to do a, do a little search for that video. Why have you heard something? No, I, for some reason okay. I just thought I, I saw pictures of you guys holding lake trout. Yeah, no, we um I'll, I'll go up and fish in, in Lake Huron. Oh, okay. Uh, for some lake trout in the fall, uh, but not down in Lake St. Clair. It'd be kind of neat if we did have some. Uh, but yeah, no, that's all from like Lake Huron, kind of uh, a ways north of me. So now, through throughout the season with the muskies, what what changes? What what the depth you're working them over, or what's a what's a difference for seeking the the fish out throughout your season? Yep, yeah, definitely. Um, you know, we give it a bit of a, a migration. There's always going to be some fish in, in certain specific areas, but. Uh, yeah, like you said, depth-wise, you know, early in the season, they're going to be in a little shallower, kind of some post-spawn areas. Um, it takes a while for our water to warm up, especially right now with the, the high water. And the season kind of seems to have just shifted by a whole month. You know, kind of like we were talking about, you know, I was fishing all the way up until like last Monday, uh, which is, you know, fairly rare up until the last three or four years. So it seems like it's taking longer for our water to cool down and then at the same time longer for it to warm up in the spring. So, you know, our spawn sometimes is going on, you know, into late May, even 
some fish still into early early June. So those fish are going to be still a little bit shallower for the most part. And then as the summer goes on, um, you know, the, the gizzard shad migration, stuff like that, they're, they're going out to a little bit deeper water a lot of times uh, or different parts of the lake. So you'll, you'll definitely find more fish in midsummer out like in the deeper parts of the lake. Uh, and then as the late fall goes on, they're, they're moving a little bit shallower, getting closer to like river mouse, things like that, where there's a lot of sucker and shad. So it's definitely, uh, definitely changes quite a bit early, early season, late season, a lot of shallower water, uh, you know, 15 feet and less. And then, you know, midsummer we could be fishing out in 20, 25 foot of water pretty regularly. Is the gizzard shad the main bait fish of choice? Yeah, it seems to be, uh, at least that's what we're following around. Uh, we do have a lot of red horse suckers and, uh, I think we might have talked about this a little bit last time too, but based on some, uh, stomach surveys that uh, a grad student did over here at a, a local university. Uh, a lot of the stomach content actually have white bass. That, that actually was like the, the highest content, um, which is a good thing because there's, there's a ton of them out there. So uh, white bass probably just because of the sheer abundance of them, but we're definitely following around the gizzard shad migration a lot throughout the midsummer and fall. Uh, and then I think after the, you know, it was white bass, gizzard shad and suckers. Those were by far the, the three main uh, forage for the muskie out there. You know the walleyes? <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, it's kind of funny because, you know, 10 years ago, if you would have said that, the, the, if you look through like the history of Lake St. Clair a lot, um, the walleyes have done really well during the high water years. When I was a kid growing up through the 80s and into the you know early 90s, the walleye numbers were really good. Uh, water was high and then it dropped way down for a while. Numbers were kind of down and, of course, the reason why they were down, according to a lot of the walleye guys, was because the muskies were eating them all, right? But now we've had a record amount of walleyes in the whole Lake St. Clair, Lake Erie watershed. Uh, so I always kind of joke around. It seems like the muskie numbers have actually kind of dwindled down a little bit. Uh, so I always joke around that the walleye are eating all the muskie now. <laughs> but yeah, I haven't heard any complaints in the last three years when we've had record numbers of walleyes about the muskies eating them all anymore. But yeah, that, that's the usual things that you get. And the funny thing about that is both, you know, Michigan's done it, Wisconsin, Minnesota, they've all done, you know, stomach content type studies uh, to see if they've had an effect on a walleye and everyone comes back where, you know, it's extremely small amount of their, you know, their their diet is walleye. So, because yeah. uh, they're seeing that in Minnesota right now, some lakes are really struggling with the walleye numbers and they don't understand it. So they've done all these studies because, a lot of locals are blaming the muskie, and every time it comes back, like, we're just not seeing it. They're just not eating eating the walleyes. Um, but they'll be in the same areas a lot of times, and I think a lot of the forage is similar. It's just that the muskies are eating the larger forage, uh, whether it's shad or, you know, whatever they're eating there. But you'll they'll definitely see them in the same area. So that would probably be why you see some of it, uh, people thinking that they're eating all the walleyes. So now, do you guys need a, a certain temp to hold for a while to kind of kill your shad off, or – do they, for most part, reproduce every year consistently? Um, it seems like they've been reproducing every year consistently, but you definitely get a big kill off, uh, and that usually has to do with the temperature fluctuations. They're, you know, very fickle fish. Fish, so, you know, if you get, you know, for us, we might have the, the shallow waters warm up a little bit, and all of a sudden you get this big blow. It blows in all the cold water in the middle of the lake, and you get like a, you know, seven eight degree temperature change, sometimes more, and they they can't handle that, so they'll they'll die from that a lot. And then, uh, we'll get some outbreaks of the VHS, uh, and that really does a lot of damage to the shad. So every spring, there's definitely a lot of shad kill off, like kind of post spawn temperatures, 
or do the VHS, uh, you'll definitely see a lot of dead shad in the spring. So hopefully, you know, that doesn't ever collapse where that forage base will go away. Cause there's all, you know, a lot of fish are eating those, those shad, you know, the smaller size ones, the, the walleye and bass are eating them. Um, and then the larger ones, the, the muskies are targeting. So let's get into flies a little bit. Um, your flies, they're not typically trying to mimic a shad per se, are they like color pattern and stuff? Uh, color pattern, not necessarily, but the, the profile, the profile, yes, uh, definitely doing a little bit more to where we're not using as much of like the, at least I'm not anyways, uh, using as much of the, you know, uh, deer spun, uh, deer hair spun flies or anything. We get like a big round profile, uh, which, you know, you can definitely use those. Cause like I said, there's a lot of sucker. And to me, that kind of profile mimics the suckers a lot, but we're doing a lot more of the, you know, kind of tall top to bottom kind of a thinner side-to-side profile type shape. Uh, I think that also kind of helps get a little more of the glide, kind of the side-to-side type glide that, that I'm also looking for. But that that's more the profile of like the shad. Um, so definitely I would say a little more of the profile. The colors, yeah, not too often I'm going to match in the, say, match in the hatch. I, I don't get into that a whole lot. Um, for me, it all has to do mostly with like water color, and that's kind of a lot of times uh, – determine which color flies I'm going to go with. Would you mind getting into that? Uh, what, yeah. what the watercolor uh, means yeah, for your flies? Yeah. So, I mean, for me, ideally, I'm trying to typically stay away from the super clear stuff. Uh, if I am fishing in the really clear stuff, if I'm kind of forced to, uh, I'll, I'll go maybe a little more natural then where you might get some of the yellows, tans, you know, even whites um, and that clear stuff. But typically for us, you know, we're always having like different color waters out there due to runoff from rivers or winds will turn the, the lake up a lot. So, uh, you know, if I have water, it's kind of like a more of a greenish color water. Um, I do there. You can almost kind of use anything, you know, black and reds will work really well for me in that, you know, some black and orange, uh, you know, yellows and tans, pretty much everything kind of working in that. So you got to kind of play around, uh, see what they want that particular day. Um, but then if I get into some really stained stuff where it's kind of more of a brownish color, you might only have, two or three foot of visibility. Uh, I do a little bit better on like, you know, the black and oranges in there, solid blacks. Uh, this year, actually, we did pretty well on like black and pink, um, which to the musky pretty much look, looks like black and orange anyways, but uh, it was just showing really well in that water. So I like having that contrast. You know, I usually won't use to say like a all solid, like orange or pink too often. I kind of like having it mixture of black and like a upright color to kind of you know, show a little bit better. Uh, so that's kind of how it tends to be. Like I said, if it's really clear, I'll usually go more naturals unless it's really, really low light conditions. Um, but yeah, like, like a lot of guys, you know, you hear the big, big green, big fish, green color, like that's a good color for us too. Uh, the water as far, you know, the big green, big fish green. Uh, I, I definitely like that. And like I said, the black and that's where the black and reds have done really well for me throughout the years. Yeah, man. I, I see you say it all the time online, black and your black and red, black and red. <laughs> I, I, I haven't caught shit on that color, man. <laughs> That's funny. And, you know, it may a lot it may just have to do with the color of the water or, you know, um, you know, I, who knows? The black and red may just all look, might look solid black to the fish for all I know. And like I said, we have, you know, a lot of, you know, this is profile. So a lot of sucker or, uh, you know, in, in that stomach survey that, uh, that grad student did, she found like, remember the exact number but it was quite a few like uh catfish and bullhead you know it might have been like 30 catfish and bullhead of these hundred something fish so they eat a lot of that too 
so maybe it just mimics those those colors too of a catfish for all I know. But it definitely seems to work. That it, it's confidence, man. Yeah, it is. And there's days, you know, I would probably say more times than not, how to fly swimming is probably the most important thing. But there is those days where they're keyed into one color just a little bit more than others uh, to where it'll, you know, it'll catch nine out of ten fish in a boat on that particular color. Uh, it doesn't happen a whole lot, but there's definitely those days where it is, where, like, black and red's working or, you know, we, we, we call it peanut butter color because it's kind of color of peanut butter, but that tan color, uh, which I'm sure is mimicking kind of a red horse sucker type of thing, will work really well. Uh, yeah, and there's just days where that, that color is what's on. So it's, it's nice to have two, two lines in the boat at all times so that sometimes I can work kind of a lighter color and a darker color and kind of see what you're kind of wanting that day. Um, and then once you kind of hone in on something, then you can kind of switch both guys to that color. Do you ever or often get times when you have two guys that it, they really haven't casted a fly rod that much in the boat at the same time? Yes. Uh, and it could be an interesting day. I was going to say, um, what... not to say the guy shouldn't try to do it, but, uh, you know, kind of how I set up my drift, one of the guys are going to kind of have the wind blown away from them the whole time. So it's a, it's a safe cast. Uh, so the flies never going to be near them. Uh, but the second guy that I have in the back of the boat, a lot of times you could have the fly kind of blown into you a little bit. So either I have to change my drift where both guys are casting downwind, which I don't always like to do. Cause then one guy's got a back cast unless he's left-handed. Um, and I just don't get as much action on my fly, uh, going that way. So it's not something I prefer to do, but I can do that. Uh, typically what I end up doing is kind of convincing the guys, if the per- one person struggling a little bit is to take turns, we'll rotate who's in the front of the boat, cast them with the wind. Um, and then the person in the back, maybe throw conventional gear. Uh, it does two things. One, it gives them a little bit of a break, which is good because, you know, most new casters aren't going to be as efficient with their cast. Uh, so they're going to get worn out a little faster. Um, and then, you know, the other thing is there's probably a better chance they're going to catch one in the conventional gear. So it kind of just keeps some action, you know, if, at least if I always kind of think of it as a boat as a team, you know, as long as somebody's getting some action in the boat, it keeps everybody's spirits up and stuff like that. So, you know, why one guy's throwing gear, you know, hopefully we're, you know, hooking a fish or two while doing that. And the other angler up front, uh, you know, is working to fly and, you know, eventually, you know, hopefully it happens that way too. So that's usually what I got to do now. Um, it's definitely a nice advantage. Like you mentioned before, always having a, a conventional gear rod in the boat uh, for, for the, someone that's struggling a little bit more. So do you find that these newbies keep booking year after year and coming back or do they kind of get out of the musky game after trying it a handful of times? Most, most of the people come back. Um, I will get the occasional angler or two where they're just like, eh, this is, wasn't for me and then i've had people go out there and catch like two or three fish like their first time when you're like man that was an amazing day and they're like yeah i kind of just checked it off my list i'm done or you know <laughs> they, didn't they like it for them you know and a lot of times it's like trout fishermen i'll get a lot and whether it's uh you know the muskie just didn't do it for them or they want to be in a fast moving river and being on a lake isn't their thing uh i probably get that more so than the, the muskie thing but uh yeah i've had some people out there that definitely you know like grind it out all day and even I might have thought it was decent action and it just wasn't enough action for them. You know, I get a bass guy or something that's used to catching 20 fish in a day and only hooking up with one isn't their thing. But I think most people going into it know it. Um, and I kind of even explain it to someone that's kind of new. Uh, most people know what the grind's all about. Uh, 
you know, and I've had guys that may have taken two or three trips to get one and they actually just love it. Like, you know, they may have saw one or two and, you know, they didn't get one to eat and they, they couldn't wait to get back out there again. So I would say 95% of people are definitely coming back again, unless like they have their own boat and they just want to get out and kind of learn how to do it. And then they're doing it on their own. But um, if they don't have another means of getting out there, mo- most people try to give it at least a, a few more goes. Uh, you know, it's just get the occasional person. that's just like, yeah, this is just too much, you know, too much physically, or I, I just need more action type of thing. But I think most people know what they're getting into. Do you find a lot of people traveling uh, from far distances or, you know, other states, or is it a lot of local people? Uh, this year trips? is definitely a little different. <laughs> so yeah. in the past, I did get a lot of people from other states, you know, um, a lot of times, especially because of the automotive industry here, you know, we get a lot of people coming from all over the country and they're like, hey, I'm in Detroit area for work. Can you squeeze me in for like a day or a half day trip type of thing? So I definitely get a little bit of that. Um, and a number of those people may end up coming back again or they'll try to maybe plan their work schedule, making sure they can get, get another trip in. Uh, so, yeah, this year I had some people that, you know, I had some people that come out here every year from California uh, that couldn't make it from Utah that couldn't because of COVID they just didn't want to fly. And uh, I had another couple that were coming in from Australia that, you know, they just weren't allowed to even come into the country. So this year was definitely a lot more of people that, you know, I still have people from other States, you know, like from like New York and, you know, all around the Midwest and stuff like that. But most of the people I would say was within like a, you know, seven, eight hour drive. Uh, didn't have a whole lot of guys flying this year. Still had a couple, but most of the people were just kind of driving distant. Um, luckily we were shut down for a little bit where we weren't allowed to guide in the springtime. Uh, so I lost most of my bass season, but once things kind of opened up and we were allowed to start guiding again, uh, I stayed, stayed as busy as I, I had before. It's just, like you said, I may have had more repeat trips from people kind of within a few hour drive than I had in the past. Um, or just, like I said, closer stuff. So I didn't have like the really far, like other side of the country type, uh, got people booking trips this year. So when guiding was shut down during bass season for you, you did you get your fill of bass fishing yourself? Yeah, it was actually kind of nice. Uh, there was <laughs> very controversial, but it was like a, I want to say like a two weeks time where we weren't even allowed to take boats out in the lake. Uh, so which which wasn't the, the worst thing in the world because we had really crummy weather during that time. But uh, yeah, I got to do way more fishing uh, than I ever have this spring. Um, got to do a lot more fishing with friends and family, which I haven't got to do as much since guiding. So I definitely am actually, it made me rethink some things, um, about maybe, you know, blocking off a few more days to get to do that a little bit more. Cause it was definitely, you know, not just fun for me to get to fish, but to have like friends and family that I haven't got to fish with quite as much in the past. It was kind of nice to reconnect doing all that again, uh, which is stuff that I used to always do before guiding. So it was, it was kind of fun, and the bass fishing was actually one of the best years this spring that, that I've had in a long time out there. Uh, a lot of fish and a lot of big fish. Um, we, we got like a little bit of a warm-up in March, which got the bass going, and then it got really cold and crummy for a while, which really prolonged the spawn. Like our spawn didn't really happen until like mid to late May, uh, but the bass didn't seem to care. I mean, the colder, the crummier, the better it was, because it was like hardly anyone else out there, and the bass were just mowing, so... It was a real fun spring, and I got to, got to experience that firsthand more this year than I got to in the past number of years. So that time of year, are you throwing flies that are jigging on the bottom, or are you throwing swim flies, or what What are you trying to do? 
still mostly swim flies. Uh, we might get the occasional day where the fish aren't moving a whole lot. And then I'm using, you know, maybe some weighted flies, crayfish patterns, that kind of thing along the bottom. Uh, so real early in the year, March and early April, definitely, uh, even if it's a swim fly, I'll let it sink down for quite a bit and, and work it pretty slow along the bottom. And then as it warms up a little more, get up closer to like, you know, 40 degree temps, then you can definitely start fishing a, a lot faster. Uh, and so it may just vary day to day too. You know, if it's a bright sunny day, maybe the bass aren't wanting to move as much. So you got to kind of crawl along the bottom. Um, so it, it's kind of neat. Definitely uh, did some other different little tweaks to some flies this year. Uh, you know, for example, I don't mind saying it. Uh, we end up taking, you know, I use a, a Murdoch minnow probably, you know, 85, 90% of the time out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but sometimes when you're fishing it really, really slow, you're getting caught up on some bottom or getting some like little weeds here and there. So we actually put some little pieces of styrofoam uh strips of styrofoam in in the fly so you know the line's basically dragging the bottom it kind of just suspended that fly just uh you know six inches to a foot off the bottom and you can especially in early spring sometimes you need to pause it five six seconds before they'll they'll, they'll rip it uh so you can do you know before without having that styrofoam in there making it kind of buoyant uh you get caught up on the bottom if you pause it that long you know you get snagged up in the rocks or the weeds or whatnot so uh, having that little bit of buoyancy in there, you could just, I mean, you could leave it down there for 15 seconds uh, in, without getting snagged up and the fish would hit it. So just doing some little tweaks to some of the flies that I'm sure a lot of people have before, but I just hadn't done it as much out there. Uh, kind of helped out a lot during those cold temperatures when the bass weren't moving as much. That's an awesome idea. I'm definitely going to plagiarize that. With yeah, that. it helps. So yeah, it's funny. I give Eli a call and it's like, hey, I got this idea. Can you put some styrofoam in there? And I didn't know what he'd come up with or what he had, but he's like, yeah, he gave me like two different versions and it, it, it worked great. Um, it was mostly like, you guys know how it is, the spring bass. Like, you know, you, sometimes I do a strip and all of a sudden you let it pause there for like 10 seconds. All of a sudden you'll feel your line finally pop tight. Uh, so sometimes you do have to have that real long pause in there and, and it worked wonderfully. That's awesome. So I have a question for you about the, uh, the, the one guy throwing conventional, one guy throwing fly for muskie. Do you ever get fish come in to the boat side and then on the gear and then both people figure eight and then they veer off and eat the other person's presentation? <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't say it happens a lot, but it definitely happens at least a couple of times a year. Um, and whether it's, you know, I can have two people throwing flies and once in a while they'll do that. Like one person has one coming in and for whatever reason it might spook or turn off and all of a sudden it just shows up, you know, on the next person's fly or, or gear uh, bait. So this the most recent one actually just happened maybe like two weeks ago. Um, I, I didn't see it happen. I actually had a couple buddies out there that I was just doing a little bit of scouting with and stuff, and we we're fishing. And uh, two of us were fly fishing, and one guy throwing gear kind of in between between us. And yeah, he said it came in on. He's throwing a shadzilla. He said it came in on a shadzilla, and basically turned right off his shadzilla and went right onto this guy's fly. Uh, he didn't get to, to get didn't get it to eat. And it chased around a few times, and then we did another pass through, and it came back and ate the fly. Uh, so, that, yeah, I just saw it after it already been on the fly, but he said, oh, yeah, it was right on his his paddle tail and turned off right the last minute went right towards the fly, uh, which is cool because you think it would be the other way around, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> the guy had a conventional gear and poached the fly, bit, <laughs> but uh, it was the other way around, so it was kind of neat to see the fly guys win once in a while. So does, uh, does that make for um, epic boat shit-talking sessions when that happens? <laughs> It does, but, you know, luckily the guy that had it follow in, he's just, uh, you know, such a, a good-hearted guy. He he just loves seeing it. He was just like, oh, that was so awesome. It came right off my thing and went and to eat your fly and stuff. And then, like I said, when the guy caught it on the fly, it literally his fly was 
cross in the face, basically, the guy throwing the gear, and he's, you know, it's 10 feet out from the boat, and you just watch the fish just come up there and eat the fly right in front of him, and he's just, for him, it was almost uh, more thrilling to see that happen than, than have it happen on his own line, so, uh, but yeah, it can definitely, if you have two people who are a little more competitive or just, you know, for fun, you can definitely talk a little bit of trash uh, when you kind of poach someone else's fish. Heck yeah, man. That that, <laughs> that would be the most fun. <laughs> yeah, it would be. Although probably the, the, the worst one would be is like all of a sudden, you know, you make that cast out there and you see a fish kind of boil or chase some bait and you're thinking, all right, as soon as I get my fly, I'm going to hurry up and throw it out there and catch it. And then the guy on the other side of the boat kind of beats you to it. You know, and you're like, hey, fish your side of the boat, you know. Uh, that, that's where it happens a little more often. <laughs> like, I was just about to cast there, and they hurry up and throw out there and end up hooking the fish. That, that That's happened a couple of times before, too. So, speaking of that, how often, when you're out fishing, can you see shore? And how how hard is it to get, like, new people to keep uh, their confidence up, not actually throwing at structure, but throwing at bait? Right. You know what you I mean? Know, yeah, yeah. I mean, most of the days, if it's calm, you can see the shore, but, you know, we might be 10, 15 miles out from the shore, uh, but you can usually see it. But, yeah, it, it'll feel like you're probably just, you know, a needle in a haystack thrown into a vast ocean all day. Uh, some guys love it. Other people, you definitely got to kind of, you know, because you know, you know, if you're out there enough or, you know, you're guiding, I know I'm going to be on a bunch of fish. It's just a matter of when that window turns on. So it's not, you know, anyone that's kind of familiar with musky probably has seen the same thing. You know, it's not like other species where, you know, you make a good presentation, you're going to move that fish or eventually get them to eat. You know, it's, it's sometimes going hours with thinking there's not a fish in the lake and all of a sudden it's like bite turns on and fish are kind of everywhere. You catch two or three and, you know, can end as quick as it started. So it's definitely, you know, you got to keep the guys entertained, you know, um, keep them to say, Hey, you know, keep going. You know, they're in there. It definitely helps when the fish want to play along with a little bit, at least give you a follow here and there to let them know, Oh, there's fish here. You know, you, like you said, uh, you know, I'll drive 15, 20 miles out into the lake and all of a sudden guys are like, we're fishing here, you know? And you're like, yep. And they're like, all right, is there any weeds or anything? You're like, no, no, it's pretty much just flat bottom here. Just bait around. And then they also they make some casts and the first one they see, they're like, holy crap, I actually didn't believe you that there's fish out here. Uh, <laughs> so it's different, you know, like that's, you know, most people don't get to experience that, you know, fishing big open water like that. Uh, so, yeah, it's definitely try to keep the people convinced. Um, you know, like you said, you mentioned earlier that I'm doing, you know, sometimes big long passes. So sometimes you'll do a drift of like a quarter mile or so, you know, be like, all right, let's go do another, another pass. And you're driving to go do another one and they're like are we going to a new spot i'm like no i'm just going to start where we where we started the last pass and they're like we literally drifted that far i felt like i was just doing the same cast over and over to the same spot so you know they don't realize how much you're actually moving uh whether it's due to wind or currents that, that we have out there that are moving you so um definitely gotta keep the people you know i love it uh, i have a lot of people out there that love fishing the big open water like that uh, but it's definitely, you know, different for a lot of people not having something to actually target and cast to each time. Yeah, man, it, it would be totally different for, for us. We can, you know, we're never too awful far from the bank but in, and from actual physical structure. But it would yeah. be fun as heck to go out with someone <laughs> that, that knows what the heck they're doing. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then, you know, the other thing, I, I think the difference, because I, I see a trout fishing, I actually get more worn out trout fishing because when I'm, you know, drifting down a river, you're, you know, you get in, you're always trying to hit that next spot or here's a spot, here's a spot. And you're, you know, trying to make the perfect cast. When you're out in big open water like that, it's a little more relaxing where, you, you know, you don't have to be super accurate at your cast, you know, just get it out there. 
you know, you're maybe letting it sink for a few seconds and then you're stripping it in, doing your figure eights. You can take your time and do as many figure eights as you want because you're not having to worry about curling and hitting that next spot, right? If you're on a river where you're actually drifting decently well. Um, so it's a little more, in, you know, my opinion versus like being in a, a river that, you know, at least like a faster moving river. Uh, it, you can, it's a little more laid back and you can kind of just take your time and do stuff. Uh, so in that aspect, to me, it's sometimes a little bit less like, you know, I do enjoy, you know, like trout or, uh, you know, being up in northern Wisconsin or something, we got some faster rivers, you know, hitting that next little spot. That, that's always a lot of fun. Uh, but I, I find it a little less taxing when you kind of just can relax and take your time and cast cast wherever you want. You just mentioned the figure eight. That's something we haven't spoken about yet this evening. Uh, so how often do you, do you guys get uh, muskies coming into the boat to eat boat side in comparison to eating on the strip or when the, fr- the fly first hits the water? Yeah, it's interesting. And I, I know we touched on this a little bit uh, a couple of years ago, cause that's when yeah. I first started seeing it, uh, you know, seven, eight, 10 years ago, I would say like, you know, 95% of the fish just either ate far out or kind of right when the fly first came into view, like 10, 15 feet from the boat. But I very rarely got them on figure eights. Uh, even the conventional gear guys were seeing that. And then the last couple of years, it's like, you know, it's pushing close to some, you know, close to half our fish may come on figure eights now. Uh, and I, I think maybe a lot of that may have to do with pressure, um, but it, it's definitely very important and it could be the difference you know if i have an experienced angler out there you know you that could be the difference of maybe catching two or three fish in a day versus if someone's not doing a real good figure eight or gets a little bit lazy with it and getting no fish and you guys know i mean a two fish days it's not like other things where if you're out bass fishing you catch two fish like that's still pretty most time of the year it's still a pretty crummy day you know, two or none is almost about the same. But when it comes to muskie, the difference between one or two fish and none is a huge difference. So, yeah, that's all um, the difference. Yeah, it is. One difference. fish makes a whole day, right? So if, if you, you know, if you're not doing the figure eights all the time or not doing them, uh, you know, as well as I would like to see the people doing it, that can make a big difference. And, and that definitely happens. You go hours and hours of nothing, and then all of a sudden a fish comes in and you're just not prepared or have a bad angle, and then just can't do a good figure eight and the fish spooks off and – like I said, maybe that fish should have got caught. So it's crazy how things have changed. Um, I even talked to one guy this year that's out there pretty much every day, and he said even fish weren't even going to figure eights anymore. That on pounders, he stopped doing figure eights. He pretty much just lets it drop and tries to just kind of like, you know, toy with them and kind of, you know, jig it and pop it because he said they weren't even coming into figure eights anymore because they're just getting so pressured and used to seeing that. So it definitely, the bite has changed over the years, and, you know, we got kind of adapt to that a little bit ourselves. I, I know two years ago we talked about it, but you had some of the best YouTube videos of boatside eats. Are you ever going to get back to it? <laughs> yeah, I, I've been for three years planning on trying to do that a little more. Um, I even wore it a couple of times this year uh, when I was just out fishing with uh, some buddies or my brother. And uh, man, I don't know how I wore it all the time because I, I was hate, hating wearing it. But <laughs> I think <laughs> I think what I'm going to do is uh, just kind of like. Uh, I have some mounts that I can put into the boat uh, where it kind of just points to that part of the, the water. You know, the downside of that, you know, it's nice when you kind of have it on your head or something where it kind of goes where you're looking. But, you know, hopefully I can capture some more like that. So I'm actually going to, I think this winter I'll upgrade a couple of uh, my older GoPros to the newer ones where you actually have the screen so I can see where it's pointed to um, and, and try to do that a little bit more uh, this upcoming year. But I have been saying it for like two years now. Maybe I'll actually get around to doing it. But 
yeah, you've definitely had a couple of ones that were like, oh man, that looks so awesome to, you know, for people to see. And it, it's not about like, oh, look at me do this. It's nothing about that. It's just, it's fun. I, I've sat there at lunch a bunch of times, like just watching, you know, even conventional gear figure eights for hours and hours. You know, it's just a, a neat thing to, to watch and experience. So um, hopefully I'll get back to doing that because there's definitely been some really cool eats. Uh, luckily I had one a couple of years ago with RT filming the summer haze one where he just perfect timing where he just happened to have the camera right on me when one came in, but that's probably the last one that I've caught on video in, in a number of years. We want to see you look at me, look at me. Yeah. We want to see that. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I know some people don't like the, the Brian video and stuff like that. Cause they're like, Oh, you're just trying to like, you know, someone's just trying to show off or a look at me thing. But I, to me, it's more just kind of getting to, to share that experience with everyone. Cause yeah, you guys seen the, the figure eight stuff. It's pretty fun to to have one come or just eat both sides. The so moment of truth. Yeah, man. What's that? It's a moment of tr- truth right there, man. That's yeah. like what what every hunter waits for that one opportunity. It is, and that's what makes musky so fun and unique. I mean, besides the challenge, which we all know is, you know, can be very challenging at times. Uh, there's not many other fish species in the world, even saltwater, that's gonna eat right the boat and just a lot of times not in character there. Right. So, um, that's one of the reasons why we get a lot of trolling boats out Lake Sinclair. Um, and it's obviously a very productive way to get numbers. You know, you can run planer boards nowadays and just, you know, run, you know, three lines a person, depending on what waters you're in, that kind of thing. Uh, but you miss out on what's the coolest thing, right. Is, is the eat. I mean, getting to visually see the eat a lot of times or getting to try to get a fish on the figure eight. That's a pretty cool thing to, to experience. So, I'm always going to be preferred to do a little bit of fly fishing or, or conventional gear casting uh, over trolling uh, any day for me. If they get too keen on that figure eight, just tone it down to like a figure four. <laughs> it's not a leg lock. Oh, uh, the leg lock I was talking about earlier is the one I meant. But, but yeah, t- throw that joke at the, the pounder guy. Say, throw it the figure four. Fuck it. Um, so you mentioned your brother. Um, you got your nephew on his first muskie on the fly, right? Recently, yeah. Recently? Uh, yeah. Yeah, his uh, his son, Miles, he's a, a heck of a fisherman, uh, especially, I mean, for any age, but definitely, uh, I think, I mean, I, Matt could probably correct me, but I think he's been swinging that muskie fly rod around since he's been about eight years old. And I know he has had some eats before and some bad luck, which is, you know, getting him to stay on or hook up, which we've all experienced. Yeah. And I know he's gotten some some nice ones on conventional gear, but yeah, this year he finally, uh, you know, is a... I had been doing pretty good for a couple of days. So I call him up and said, Hey, if you can get him over here, like, I think he's got a real legit shot. And, uh, he ended up getting five of them actually that day, his first time out, wait, wait, what? Uh, not first time out, but his first day of getting, getting a, a muskie and a fly. So well, the neat thing about it is, uh, you know, his first three were his purebred muskie. And the first one, you know, you can see is really excited to get it. I was a little bit nervous and we, we get it in, but his fourth and fifth fish that day were tiger muskie. Uh, and he, you know, much like all of us, just, you know, love the, the beauty of a tiger muskie. So when his fourth one, we saw, he's like, oh, I got a fish. And all of a sudden he sees there's a tiger and he's like almost freaking out. Like, you know, <laughs> yeah, get the neck, get the neck, it's a tiger, it's a tiger, you know. So he was actually, I think, most excited to get that first tiger muskie in than he was any of his other fish. Heck yeah, man. <laughs> That's freaking awesome. Yeah. Only but five, again, huh? Phenomenal fisherman, can cast really well, does a figure eight. He, he really picks up stuff quickly. So uh, the tiger muskie, how how frequent are they up there? 
you know, a lot more over the last five years than they ever were before. I mean, it took me quite a few years before I caught my first one. Well, you know, we're seeing more and more. Uh, you know, a lot depends on the areas areas you're kind of fishing. I talked to one conventional gear guide out there, and I thought he was saying like one in like six of his fish were were tiger muskies this past year. Uh, so definitely seen them a lot more. I didn't get quite that many. I, I think I may have only gotten you know nine or ten this year, uh, but you definitely are seeing where it's, it's coming close to like you know. 10% of the fish that you're catching now uh, soon to be a tiger. So it has a lot, you know, from talking to some of the biologists, it has a lot to do with some of our, our winters and springs where the, the spawn kind of causing the pike and muskie to spawn a little too close to each other timing wise. And then due to like lake changes, a lot of times now they're spawning in similar areas where in the past they didn't always do that. Does the high water you think have something to do with that? It may. Uh, high water, uh, Phragmites, which is an uh, invasive weed that we have here a lot, um, has kind of choked out a lot of the, say, shallower, swampier areas where the pike used to maybe spawn in the past. So it's kind of pushing the pike out a little bit deeper to spawn now, too, where the muskies will be at. So, uh, you know, yeah, that high water, I, I think, you know, we've had some years where it, the lake never froze, and so it stayed warm all year. Uh, so the pike were spawning and it shot up temperature wise and the muskies still, you know, start moving in there. And we had a couple other years where it stayed really, really cold and then all of a sudden got, you know, warm really fast. And, you know, the musky, the pike weren't all quite done spawning and then, the, you know, muskies start moving in there. So it's kind of a combination of all those things. But, you know, we've always had pike and musky in the lake and it was really rare to catch a tiger, you know, 10 years ago. And now it's a pretty common occurrence. How often do you run into the pike while you're out musky fishing? Uh, again, a lot of times it depends on the areas. Uh, you know, we, we do definitely get one here and there. Um, but not as much as you would think. You know, usually if you're in an area where you're catching a lot of pike, you're probably not in one of the best areas for musky. Um, the the musky out there seem to not like the pike, so they kind of push them out of those areas. So that's why we don't get a ton of them, but a lot depends on the year. You know, early and late in the year, they're definitely uh, in the same areas and a little bit shallower. So you can definitely run into some pike and stuff at that time. And then, there, you know, there's definitely other times of year where, you know, it's a little bit rarer to get them. But uh, it seems like they made a little bit of a bounce back to with the higher water. The last few years, we've been getting a, a few more. And, um, again, always still happy to get a tug in the line, but there's definitely times where – Someone's trying to get their first muskie and stuff, and it's kind of like the, the oh, crap, is this a pike type of thing. So fun to, to target, you know, when you're trying to actually catch them when you're muskie fishing. You know, we kind of have a saying out there that you're you're one in the hole when you catch a pike. So it's funny. You'll, you'll come up to a, a guide and be like, hey, how are you guys doing today? He's like, oh, we're negative two. And you're like, oh, it's too pike. <laughs> negative two. <laughs> so you're going to see some of the posts, and the guys all kind of know it now. So sometimes you'll post a pike picture, and they're like, oh, you're negative one for the day. So kind of you ever see that in any of the posts that's where it kind of comes from is uh it's a pretty standard midwest points scaling (laughs) exactly yeah (laughs) i know some guys a little bit further south that i guess they say the same thing with stripers like oh yeah when we get a striper we're musky fishing we're so pissed and i'm like are you really like (laughs) are you really how could you be (laughs) right striper sounds pretty fun to me to catch but maybe some people feel the same way about a pike so again i love catching pike uh you know you know, early spring, stuff like that. And, you know, we have some decent sized ones. Uh, but yeah, there's just sometimes nothing more frustrating when you're musky fishing and you think you finally, finally connected with a musky on a fly and it ends up being a pike. Yeah, man. How many guys or how many times have you seen that like this year 
you ruin someone's first muskie, have a pull up a pike. Oh yeah, yeah, quite quite a bit. Um, <laughs> I have one guy. He, he he's like, <laughs> I want to call him my project, but he's like my number <laughs> one person this year. That I'm like, we gotta get you a fish. You know, he's a really good fisherman and stuff, and he's just had bad luck. Uh, I don't know if he's ever even had a one eat. I mean, he's had a lot of fouls, but you know, he's been out here a number of times and he's fished other places before and just has not gotten to go. And I'm like, you know, I feel bad for him because it's almost like this jinx in a boat. Like I could have the hottest week ever. We're boating five fish a day and he comes and he's like the, the cooler in a casino. Like I feel like he's the, <laughs> the guy at the blackjack table and it's like, all right, time to tap out. I'm taking over and everybody just loses all their stuff. Like that's been him so far. And uh, he had a couple of hookups this, this past year and both times were pike and they're you know, both his personal best pike each time. So he's a little bit excited about that. But yeah, it's, uh, you know, I had a couple other people that had been out a few times before and hadn't got one, and I checked that box off for him this year. But he is, yeah, he's my number one, uh, <laughs> my number one project next year is to get him a fish because he's putting his time. And man, like I said he's not doing anything wrong. You know, I've definitely had some people where you know it's going to be a little bit more of a, a challenge to get him on a fish. But uh, yeah, he he fishes well and fishes hard the whole time, and it just hasn't happened. I I, I don't know what it is. He just has the black cloud. He does, man. I, yeah, like I said, nothing, knock on wood, nothing's ever happened bad to us while we're in the water because I've had some of those people too where something always seems to happen when they're out there with me. But it's just the fishing, uh, it's just, yeah, it just, just hasn't happened for them. So hopefully, hopefully next year. <laughs> so speaking of that, you also mentioned you got a new boat. How does it uh, fare in the big water compared to the old boat? <laughs> Yeah, so before I had uh, like an 18 and a half foot aluminum boat, and it actually handled really well out there for an aluminum boat, um, but I just dealt with, you know, if you're out there enough in that rough water, it really beats the boats up. Um, and I, I had a, a riveted boat, and you just get like, I got loose rivets, which is eventually going to happen. Um, and I had thought about maybe going to a welded aluminum boat. Um, and I know I've seen a number of boats where it splits right by the weld out there, and, you know, you're kind of almost sunk instantly. So I, kind of stay away from that even though I, I know that the welding process is a lot better now and the thickness of the material and all that kind of stuff uh so i ended up going with a, a fiberglass boat i'm getting a ranger this past year like a 19 foot ranger and uh it definitely the ride is definitely a lot better having that extra weight out there uh it handles those waves is so much better uh, the only downside about it is I definitely find myself running around a lot more now. <laughs> so, you know, I got a little bigger outboard on and stuff like that. It's like, oh, you know, we run 50, you know, 10 miles out to the middle of the lake and then oh, let's run back into close to shore and then run right back out before dark back out to the middle. And before you know it, you know, you're putting hours and hours and lots of miles on, on the, the outboard. But, uh, you know, I kind of, I'm always in that kind of, you know, do whatever it takes to try to get the people on the fish, uh, regardless of if it's a guide trip or not. I always just, enjoy having people catch fish when they're out there with me. So, uh, it is, that's been really nice. I, I've loved the boat so far. Um, like, uh, we talked a little bit, uh, offline actually, that I'm going to do a little bit of upgrades. Want to upgrade to some new electronics and stuff like that. Um, put in some like smooth move ride seats for, for my clients when they're out there. So it's not as bumpy on them. Uh, but yeah, it's been, been real nice. I, I've loved the boat so far and, uh, it's definitely made it a little bit easier to run around. So, Eric, we've had you on the, the horn just over an hour. Uh, is there anything that we haven't hit on that you'd like to? Oh, that's a good question. I guess I didn't think that much about it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I was kind of wondering, yeah, like usually I have in the past. You know, I think we, we talked about, I think the last time a little bit about, like, you know, having the proper tools and stuff like that. Uh, 
Well, I guess I could touch on that real quick. Yeah, yeah, I yeah, always man. like to do that in every one of my talks. But, Absolutely. Um, you know, regardless of what people want to use for leader material, um, I, I know there's a lot of arguments. I, I don't get that kind of bent out of shape out of it, over it. But uh, I do run like a flexible wire, like a 40-pound flexible wire. Uh, like you know, the knotable kind? Yeah, the seven by seven strand. Um, there's a number of people that have it now. SA has it. Um, the American Wire, they they had it for a long time. Um, but yeah, it, you know, if someone wants to use fluorocarbon, I, I don't, you know, I'm not gonna get real bent over shape. I just suggest to people to go like, you know, 100 pounds or more, uh, just to kind of prevent from getting bit off. Uh, and I think most of the fish will be able to get that that fly out um, if it does break. But I just, I figure you put in all those hours, like, why have it? you know, just ending, uh, you know, something breaking on you. Uh, but probably the one that I like to, to stress a little more is just having the, the proper tools, uh, whether it's a, the right size landing net or cradle, whichever one guys want to use. And then, uh, you know, things like bolt cutters, proper pliers, like long needle nose, uh, you know, things like that, just for the safety of fish to get them out. You know, I've had a number of times where I've had to cut the hooks this past year, um, you know, especially on conventional gear. If you want to use that, uh, bolt cutters are a must. You know, hooks are real easy to replace on conventional gear baits. Uh, you know, cut those cut those hooks out and, and get that fish out. You know, even even sometimes it's not hooked like real real bad, but it's down there closer to gills. A lot of times it's easier to cut it out versus trying to, you know, pull it out of the gills and stuff. And uh, just kind of the safety of the fish. So you know, with bolt cutters, long white, you know, long needle nose. A lot of guys are maybe kind of new to it. You know, from like you know, I've seen a couple of guys out there like trout guys, and I'm seeing them using these little forceps trying to unhook it, and uh, you know, I come over there and give them my hand. Uh, so just, yeah, just kind of go out prepared. Um, that, that's really the only other thing that I can think of to touch on. How often with flies do you have to cut them out? Not, not too often. Um, I think really, I think I've only had to cut them out flies a couple of times where it was kind of hooked. It happens a lot late in the fall where they really seem to just inhale it and they kind of come from behind and they might get hooked a little bit deep. So, uh, you know, a lot of times you can just kind of almost go through the gills and, and cut it, uh, you know, from behind, you can kind of cut it, you know, versus having to reach in there. Uh, but, you know, I don't use like my the hooks I use, even though they might be big hooks, I, I like to use the smallest gauge and kind of the smallest. I, I still do leave like a little bit of barb on it, but, the, the, you know, that, they'll come out pretty easy. So I haven't had to have too many problems. It's more if I get a deep hooked one. Uh, it actually happens more for me if I'm like, say, pike fishing or get a smaller one where they'll get it way back in there. You know, a lot of the bigger fish, their mouths are so, you know, so wide that you can get in there pretty easy to get uh, a fly out. Um, I did have one guy that used a, uses like a treble hook and it kind of like got double hooked. Uh, that was a little bit harder to unhook, but, uh, most of the guys I know that run trebles kind of tend to run like small ones. So those are usually pretty easy to get out. So it's really been smaller fish, like, like pike or smaller mussy where it gets inhaled way in there and it's just kind of hard to get to where it's way down there. So it's just easier to cut the hook. Uh, but most of yeah, most of the flies I get out conventional gear. Yeah. You end up cutting them quite often. Do you catch small musky? I've never seen one. Small 39 and a quarter. Those ones are going to shuck off by the side of the boat. No, uh, no pictures, okay. no pictures <laughs> for under 40s. Although I will say uh, in my earlier years out there, I definitely caught a lot more of them. Um, and part of that was mostly just the water that I was fishing. I just, you know, I might be fishing where there's just more of fish or just smaller ones that I just didn't know a lake as well. But yeah, I, I would say it's, you know, it's pretty rare that we get one like under like 30 inches, you know, 32 inches now nowadays. And I think it's just fish in the right water where there's bigger fish. Huh. That's yeah. a, that's but good definitely to know. Here, you know, there's a lot, there's every day more and more guys that are, 
you know, in the beginning, I saw a lot more of conventional gear guys wanted to try fly fishing or get into fly fishing. And now you see a lot more fly fishermen are getting into conventional gear fishing, but didn't start off doing conventional gear. So that's where I want to tell a lot of people like, hey, if you haven't done that a lot before, make sure you have your bolt cutters and stuff like that. All things that are real you know, important to have to unhook those big trebles because that's uh, definitely get a lot down there where if you get double hook or it's hooked deep where you do have to cut the hooks. And like I said, I always just have spare hooks. They're, they're real easy to change out. Um, it takes two seconds to clip those hooks if you have good bolt cutters and, you know, on your way, to, the lure comes right out. Yeah, man. And uh, how big of a net is it that you're using? Are you using a collapsible one? Also? Yeah, I have a collapsible one. I don't have the biggest size. Um, uh, mine's a Stowmaster, but I know Frable has some too. Um, I like the collapsible just for like travel. It's real easy. Uh, when it opens up, it's a pretty large net. Uh, they definitely have a bigger size one that I use for sturgeon. But um, I, I like to have it to where if I'm in the boat, once the fish is netted, I can just leave the net, you know, on the side of the boat and the whole fish stays submerged in the water. So this gives you time to get your, you know, release tools out you know, let the angler chill out for a little bit or, you know, give all their high fives, get all that done. But the whole time the fish is staying in the water, when everybody's ready, I can unhook it. I can even put it back in the water after I unhook it then hand the, the fish to the, the person in the boat and, you know, take pictures and then get them back in. So I just like to have the, the deep nets is the important thing for me. Like once it's netted, you, got, you know, I want to make sure that fish can stay submerged in the water. Yeah, it's like a big mesh aquarium for them. Basically, yeah. <laughs> so let them, if they're going to freak out, get it all done with and just stay rested in the water. And like I said, you know, because a lot of times the guys are, you know, doing high fives or doing whatever else or excited and just let everyone take a deep breath. And when they're ready, then, you know, get the fish out. So, yeah, it's kind of nice to let them sit in the water and let the fish catch its breath, too. Heck yeah, man. Well, hey, Eric, uh, where can people go to book a trip with you? Yep. So you can either uh, email me um, at E. Gryeski, so it's E G R A J E W S K I at yahoo.com. Or uh, I have a website, it's uh, muskyfly.com, so it's M U S K E is my first initial, fly.com. And you can do it through that way too, which will have my contact information. Uh, it probably has my phone number on there, maybe too. Um, but that, or, you know, people a lot of times will just do it through, through messenger, um, and Facebook. I just go by Eric Gryaski and then on Instagram, it's E Gryaski fly. So first initial last name fly, uh, guys message me through there a lot of times too. I actually probably book more of my trips through like Instagram and stuff these days than, than anything else. So any of those ways you can get a hold of me. Um, or even if someone even just has questions, I'm always more than, than willing to help out with with questions too. And I don't know, at least for me, you're very fast to respond. It was, it was nice communicating with you like that. <laughs> yeah. It's usually pretty easy. You know, my email, I may check more like later in the day or something, or, um, if I'm on the water, usually I don't like to be on my phone when I got paying clients out there. So I usually don't tend to check or answer back unless it's a real quickie. So, um, if someone does ask a question or you know about a trip or just general information, you know, I may not get back to you until later on in the evening, but yeah, usually I'll get back at the same day if possible. Heck yeah, man. Well, hey, thank you so much for your time, Eric. This has been a great talk. All right. Yeah, it was great talking with you guys again. And uh, maybe this year, I think you guys a couple of years ago talked about trying to get up this way so or over. So uh, maybe you guys will have to, to finally do that. I can't believe it's been two years ago and we haven't fished together. We still haven't made it happen. We got to keep working on that. <laughs> yeah, drag the other boat, get all the walleye lures out, and <laughs> let's go.
oh man, I introduced my son to this this album last night when we were driving his mom to the, the hospital. I said, Nolan, we're going to listen to one of the best rock and roll albums of all time. Said, What's that, Dad? I said, Back in Black, brother. So. It is. It's, it's good. There were two songs on this album that I didn't, like, I didn't know. Like, I hadn't listened to 150,000 times. So I, I fast forward through them. I said, we don't need these two, buddy. But, but we need every other song on this album. Well, like, you know, and especially, you know, like, Shook Me All Night Long after 65 beers at, at a wedding. Yeah. Is always the greatest thing at the end of the night. Have a drink on me. Yeah. Oh, yeah. At a wedding. Oh, gosh. Let me put my love into you. That's, <laughs> that's one of the ones that I didn't really know that much, but I wish I would have known a little bit more. Oh, what was the other? Shake a leg. But I'm guessing it sounds like every other ACDC song. <laughs> you know, awesome. They None of them sound too dissimilar anyway. I it's pretty... Boop, da, boop, da, boop. <laughs> I, I love that ACDC song. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. All of them, yeah. You know, my favorite song from ACDC was Big Gun. It was off of... Uh, Wait, you don't like really big balls and, and all that? I love all that stuff, but... Big oh. Gun was my favorite. It's off uh, the Last Action Hero soundtrack. My pops well, is an ACD-er, man. What, what do you, Von Scott or, or Brian Johnson? Brian Johnson. Brian Johnson. Brian Johnson. Okay. This was Johnson's first album. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So what, Highway to Hell? That was all Bon Scott. Yeah, before, yeah. yeah anything before that. Yep. TNT, that was Von Scott. Bon. Bon, Von, whatever. Bon. Whatever. B-O-N. He drank himself to death, right? He did. Yeah. So I, yep. I went uh, exploring yesterday. My, uh, my wife went to work. My son was at his grandma's. So I had nothing to do on a Saturday morning. It was like 13 degrees. But drive around and go check out new boat launches. I found two. They're awesome. And I'm going to use the shit of them this summer. And do one you have... previously bled out on, correct? I've never put in at that boat launch. <laughs> You've only bled out at it. I've taken out at it once, and I, I was bleeding like a stuck pig. <laughs> Are there? A, have you looked on the Google later anything to see if there's like a good riffle? I um, I have not virtually float. I have not virtually floated it yet. No. Um. I invited a uh, Ernie, my buddy Ernie. Mm-hmm. I, I called him yesterday. I said, "Hey, let's do this float. I've never did it in my boat, but uh, he ended up having something to do. So, and I'm kind of glad because it was like 11 degrees today. Yeah, no, I, like, I wouldn't plan on fishing all weekend. I, I wasn't going to fish. I was just going to row him down and let him drink beers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? Oh, it's a good time, sure. <laughs> but and he he doesn't fish, you know? So it was just an exploration idea, but he had stuff going on. I I had couch surfing to do. Mm-hmm. That would have been from where we would have taken out that day mm-hmm. to the next one down. Yes, gotcha. where you used to walleye fish. Yeah, there's yeah. a uh, riffle right at that bridge at the put-in, right? Yes. So if you miss it going down, you're kind of screwed. You can't row back up it. I remember having some speed. No, the, that that put, put in. That one's not. I was gonna go where we took out to yeah. the next one down. Correct. So I'm talking put in is where we took out. That's what I'm talking put in. Yeah. There's a riff we're just past that bridge, right? Uh, I didn't see it, but I didn't. I yes. also didn't get out of my truck. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, I think you got to get out of the truck to see it because it'd be down under Is to the, the right. Is that the next town over we're talking about over there? Well, uh, you remember where White Mountain used to be? We ride four-wheelers down to there? Mm-mm. Yeah, down that way. Mm. 
So um, it's yeah, not where the not where the pond is. Oh, uh, okay. Not the next okay. one down. Oh, uh, okay, cool. I, I don't think we're gonna run into a lot of shallow gravel riffles in that. I'm guessing not either, because from the pond place down to that place. That's going to be structure fishing. There was not any, but there were a couple nice big back eddy pools that we didn't get to fish because someone's bleeding like a pig. There was a lot of timber. There was a lot of standing timber Mm -hmm. in that, too. That would be perfect. That would be money. Shopping carts and such? No, 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 no. Uh, Not not urban. No, it's not. It's all fields. It's fielded, (laughs) like heavily fielded both sides. It's just... A lot of it's straight fields with just the timber that are just on the river. That's it. Everything else is all field. I did the the float up the uh, the the pond float down to that. No, mm-hmm. no, no, no. It was Middlesex to the pond. That was the only and, fish and I, we saw, I caught that day. And we saw uh, Amish people macking on each other. Was that you, me, and Slater that did that? That day we did in the eight ball. When we been. saw the Amish people making out. I don't remember the Amish people making out per se. But I might have been in that boat. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, the pond. That's yeah. the only place we caught a fish at. Oh, yeah. Your daughter caught one. If Slater was around, we'd all, all, we all had had, you know, 18, 18 beers at least. <laughs> There's fucking 18 beers at least in Slater's cooler. No, no, no. Except the one in his hand, minus. <laughs> if Slater's in the boat, you all get a shelf. From a 30 rack. Yeah. You all get 15 beers. <laughs> <laughs> and his can be drank within 30, well, the three hours. Yeah. It takes three hours, or two hours and 45 minutes for Slater to drink 15 beers. He, he's doing 10 beers an hour. <laughs> Tasty. Fucking tasty. We, he drank that many on the way to Buffalo. <laughs> <laughs> like he was on a plane and shit. He yeah. drank a 30 he's pack drinking. of Buffalo. He, yeah. Half. He, he drank a top, a top rack. Been drunk or drove further. <laughs> His wife was driving. No, I was driving. Oh, that's okay. I drove that entire. He weekend. had the bottom of it. <laughs> he was in. The, he was riding shotgun. Oh yeah. <laughs> Him and I were piloting that vessel. That's right. We rented a van and drove the Buffalo. Four couples in a van. That thing smelled so bad. When we turned it in the next well, day. Well, and, and it was our fishing mobile for the whole weekend, too. So it was ass, it was farts and waiter funk and everything else. Oh, yeah. That, that <laughs> smelled horrible. Uh, <laughs> we subjected our wives to that vehicle. Yeah, that was great. Who was that five, six years ago? Oh, probably four, I would say. Four or five. Right Shit. after we started the podcast. Right after we started the podcast. Actually, say, that was before I met you guys. Yeah, yeah. it was, so it was it been probably f- yeah, it'd been five years ago. Sixteen. Then. There yeah, you go. Sixteen. Yes. Yeah, five Spring years. of sixteen. Yeah. Booyah. March sixteenth. Are you going through uh, memories right now? No, I can remember. I vividly remember. I was dying. I had pre-COVID. <laughs> I had the first case of fucking COVID. <laughs> I was COVID. fucking dying on my sick bed. And, and these guys are like, oh, we're going to Buffalo. And I'm like, does that mean I should go to Niagara? I think it does. You're Corona five years ago. Yeah, so I fucking went to, I went down to Niagara. And I, it was like, like you said, 11 degrees. You said 11 degrees here. 11 degrees ain't here is fucking warm compared to 11 degrees Buffalo blowing off of Lake Erie. So, mm-hmm. I would, dude, I went down there the first evening. I stuck a giant. I was like, you know, you got that head rush and that. 
and I thought I was going to die down there. You know? <laughs> People heard me victory yelp and shit. They was up there drinking their whatever, mad dogs or whatever the fuck up above me. And I was the only person on the whole river, dude. I stuck a, a big one, like over 10 pound, real thick fish. That made me happy. Even I could have died right there. Lake trout or steelhead? Steelhead. I could have died, whatever. So the next morning I wake up, it was fucking colder and just brutal winds. I was like, I'm going to go down to Devil's. Well, hell, I was huffing and puffing from walking down because I was hurting so bad. The walk out was treacherous, but I did stick one shiny one, and it was worth it. You were huffing and puffing from being sick? No. Not from, yeah, no, from being sick, yes. Not from smoking? No, I was smoking a far <laughs> less, dude. I couldn't even barely, I couldn't even hit the pipe, bro. It was You're talking about cigarettes. Yeah, I'm, I'm talking, talking about man. the pipe, man. I'm a frequent dope smoker. And when I say when I when I say dope, I'm talking about that shit they're trying to make legal everywhere. <laughs> I fucking burn that shit, man. The whole, if there's an ice hut and I own it, that's what it reeks of. No. If they check us in there, we're all shit out of luck. You're all going to jail. Yeah, when it when just like when you see the cop, you know the cops pull over, like just get the fuck away from the car, man. <laughs> Gotta go, man. Right now, shut that door. And let's go. So they ain't searching us over here. Yeah, nah, man. It was a good day. No, you guys you guys went up there and fished. This is where a, a huge picture we're looking at was took on that same day right here, right? That was uh, yeah. that day. Yeah, that was at the uh, the dam and the cat. Plenty of memories in fishing. Some good, some bad. Some tough. Yeah, man. Anymore, that seems like all we get to do this time of year is think about fishing. Oh, and, that's right. And reminisce about it. <laughs> yeah, to, like, like he said, you, you got weather changing and changing. I guess we're... Just in places we haven't been yet, it seems like, you know. But with ice coming, that's a new beginning, a fresh start. Mm -hmm. Our rivers are down, too. We need water back. Oh, we have. Yeah. Well, they shouldn't have threw it all in the garbage can because we did have it. Yeah, we need it back. That's wintertime. Fish are used to it. That's the dull time. They they get to their spot. We get a year of brown musky season, but right now it is tough to catch them. Oh, man. Yeah, give it it a few weeks. You're on the brink of February now, though. You're, You're looking ahead. Them fish, your fish, they're 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 a February fish. You we know? should we should be February pike floating if we get the right kind of weather, don't you think? Late February, February? muskies, huh? Late February, yeah. Uh, you know, what I was thinking yesterday when we left to go to Meadville, six six oh five. We were driving down three eighteen right over here, facing west. And the sun was still up. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. We that's got, an, we that's got an the, hour we've gained so far. Mm-hmm. The day is growing, but what do you got? Light at about 7.30, 7.20? I don't know. It's still dark when I go to work, oh, and, it's and super, I don't look out the windows once I get there. It's super dark until if, if if there's no clouds, you got 7.20, 7.30 maybe. Oh, sure. Even, but maybe if, even before cloudy that. day, 7.45 still, but that's it's coming to an end. Days, <laughs> nights are long, man. We're going to start to be able to fish after work a little more again. That's always a nice thing, you know, be able to get off work and go. You guys, a couple hours you guys got to go all the way through winter first. Fuck, it just started yesterday. Yeah. Here we go. We still got good six weeks left. 41 yes. degrees on Tuesday. I'm going to go hybrid fishing. What the fuck are you guys <laughs> talking about? Hell yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. I'm not joking after work. I'll beat I'm you gonna there. I'm going to prove you wrong. I'll beat you there. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> my dad was begging me the other day. He's like, dude, we should go. And I'm like, man, if you'd have told me last night, I took my stuff to work. I get off work way earlier than you. I know. <laughs> Chad already had one in the bag. I'm like, ah, God damn it. There'll at least be an eye down there. Fuck, they can't uh, go too far. Well, there's, I would go to, I'd go to the main water. I thought about going down and fishing right at the head of it with gear. 
Yeah. I mean, I like to catch fish. And <laughs> I like to rather do it when it's kind of bigger water, but when it's smaller, you can wade out there and kind of pick through all them lanes. So them fish got to be there. Them ones you were catching, all you guys caught on all them floats, got one thing on their mind, and it's to swim upriver to be ready to be caught by my rappella. <laughs> <laughs> they're priming their self. You guys got them primed. That game changer Pike got them primed. Pike will be pushing up into that. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I still think it's going to be a little cold. I mean, I mean for a rappella, it's going to hang and pause, but I oh, still dude, think I, you, you're I still mean, way cool for, I mean, end of, for fast. Uh, like how fast, how fast can't you run it in there? Like That's just how it is. Those fish, either they feed or they don't, and that's a scenario that's created by where they're at. And... I've been at seven gates plus, like heavy water, heavy water, and you gotta keep up, and they'll eat it. You put it right down in front of them, they'll eat it. Do you remember yeah, what that thing? It's not like you're moving it fast, though. It's not like no, it's just coming it's, to them. Yeah, it's, it's just coming, coming to, to them. them in a sense. I guess they see it and they grab it. Remember what Josh McQueen said? If they're there, they're eating. They're high metabolism mm-hmm. fish. They, they gotta eat. They'll eat, but it's yeah. still the same as a muskie. Muskie's gonna eat right now too. But he's yeah, not they're gonna, not. They're he's not, not gonna, gonna turn gonna around and chase it down. Chase. No, yeah. hell no. If you can feed it with him and slow it down, they're gonna eat it. But they're not gonna go. Oh, I'm gonna go run that. Turn down around for and feet. chase it. Yeah. But but they are high metabolism. They need to eat more mm-hmm. than the muskies do. So they. Oh, the pike. They're gonna sure. expose themselves a little bit more. So they position right under and oh, gulp and gulp and gulp and gulp. Probably they see it come down, down once it. and boom. That's probably the. Perfect scenario for them right now. They, they get in a trout position. Yeah. <laughs> Basically. That's just it. Yeah. yeah, and you can bring it right Coming back down right to them. them right now. Yeah. Especially the far over to the side. They can sit right yeah. up under. And you can just you, you can almost oh, flatline swing it over their head they're and gonna just drift it right to them. Just back far enough where they can relax off the current and still be able to feed right there. Mm-hmm. They're watching that spot. That's the... the that's the dinner table in front of them. And the nice part is right there is even with how fast that's moving, if you cast on an angle and work it on a side, you're slowing it down essentially oh, yeah. in a way. Pop it up and drift it back into it. Pop it up and drift it back into it. You can just you can work yeah, it that, and move it slow through that. The spot Jason wants to go to. Yeah, there's probably some walleye there. That's where they live. Another place they live, you know. It, but like I said, though, they're, it's already January late-ish. Them fish are minded like that they're starting to push up there i've i've fished them the last few weeks of january you're right into february and and done well and never just pre-spawn fish i would not be surprised if you'd be able to go in and do like joe goodspeed was talking to us about high sticking nymphs for to catch the walleyes you're a nymph yeah a minnow just help not not specifically well you don't have to use a nymph yeah you could run minnow imitation or yeah. Oh yeah, small clouser. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, I used to fish a bobber minnow off them rocks. February they stocked it, and I would catch a mixed bag when I was a kid, and some hog walleye right along with the trout. We need to order some of them bent and do like Sven's been doing with them balanced, like white leeches oh, yes. and stuff like that. I, that would be perfect that. for that. I know that, and then them uh, ones that Joe does do with the crayfish. Or we could put a pheasant tail on one of these. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I tell you what, though. How about the uh, streamer chasing it? Yeah, that was cool. Did you guys there see that? There was a double? Uh, Sven Diesel made a, a pheasant tail on one of these. Oh, like a fly chasing uh, a fly? Got what, what, it. What's this hook number? Uh, the PR, GB. Uh, GB, yeah, 378. 378. So... He uh he put a pheasant tail on it yeah. and then he tied a minnow pattern right behind it so it was like the minnow was chasing the pheasant tail. It was pretty cool looking. Oh yeah, we recommended it for a double minnow striper type deal. It could be that. 
straight on, under, over, whatever. I think that would be effective, though, is to do something like that with that balance type. Yeah, um, what's his name? Uh, bu- 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 Jeff Kramer's been tying them mm-hmm. with the uh, the needle. Yeah. With the, uh, as the, hold uh, the bead. The hold the bead in front of the hook eye on the 90-degree hook bends. Yep. And that would be perfect for nymphing under a bobber. That way it sits level like a like a minnow would and not nose up like... Yep. Or tumbling. Yeah. <clears throat> that would be great. Man, I don't know about you guys, but I have the sweatiest hands in the world, and it drives me nuts. Drink your beer, goddammit. like it. a duck for the last three hours. You didn't drink no beer I'm trying to dry them off. I'm like a freaking bowler. I thought you were like... Just no. trying to lose weight by like keeping moving or something, like chair. exercise while you're sitting or something. I'm doing calisthenics. Yeah, while we're sitting here, Chad's fucking <laughs> I, not drinking I beer he and doing calisthenics. And was like waving the air. So. No, I'm trying to dry my hands off because they're sweating. These are all gotcha. valve. Like, could could be could be right. Could I think I'm true. having a heart attack. <laughs> well, yeah, you 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 get this man a beer. So, um, hey, coming up in the next couple of weeks, we got some cool guests coming on. Uh, next week we have a uh, Brett Kick. If you guys know him, you know him. If you don't, you probably won't know him until next week. But he's got a pretty cool uh, musky project that he has going on, and man, it's gonna be fun to talk to him. Where's he from? Kentucky. Cool. Yeah, man. He uh, he actually told me a little bit of information about that lake I went to last summer on vacation with the family and didn't fish at all. So that's pretty cool. And then the week after that. We got a good one, man. We got Mark Sadati coming on. So if you guys go back and listen to the Gunner Brammer episode, and he was talking about balancing the big flies, uh, it's all Mark Sadati's concept, and it, it's going to be fun. It's going to be a fun talk, good conversation. I talked to him a little bit, doing a little bit of show prep, and man, he's got some stories. A lot of stuff that um, my fly fishing history didn't teach me. So... The stories are cool, and it's going to be entertaining. So the next couple of weeks are going to be fun. Sweet. Yeah, man. Anybody got anything else? I got nothing else, guys. So tonight's show being brought to you by Predator Fly Gear. Check them out at PredatorFlyGear.com. Rex Hooks. Find them at AirXHooks.com. Sims Fishing. SimsFishing.com. Queen City Guiding. QueenCityGuiding.com. Tonight's show has been recorded from the Urban Fly Company studios. Check Mark out at urbanflycompany.com. Yeti built for the wild. Why not fishing? You're at the dock? <laughs>